Hey everybody, TalkingBook.pub is a non-profit audiobook publisher of independent literature. We are located in Asheville, North Carolina, and because we are a non-profit, uh, donations and help from people like you who love these books and love these recordings really helps a lot. So if you want to get involved, donate to our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash TalkingBook, or go to our website, TalkingBook.pub, and read about our mission, send us an email, give us a call, whatever you want to do. But enjoy the episode. Thank you. Hi, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Chris Hartram, and this is the Talking Book Podcast. Uh, generally, we will or I will uh, either talk to an author that we've worked with um, um, or somebody who works with Talking Book in another way, but we've never talked to a narrator somehow, which is insane because narrators do half the work here, and uh, I usually just have my thumb up my ass, and, and the narrators and the writers are doing everything, and so it's high time. It's high time that I talk to a narrator, and who who better who better to talk to than Casey Hollowell, who is the um, absolutely talented, uh, brilliant actor on L. Nash's Animals Eat Each Other, which came out from uh, Dzenk, um and uh, and I just had a great chat with her, and she is lovely and super talented, and has done a lot of cool shit, and she has so much good info for anybody who wants to be, um, you know a narrator or a voice actor. So, um, so yeah, here's my conversation with Casey Hollowell, narrator of Animals Eat Each Other by El Nash. Hello. Hey, is this Casey? Yeah. Hey, it's Chris. Hi. How's it going? Good. It's going really good. How are you? Oh man, it's going. Uh, it's going good. Thank you so much for uh, talking to me today. I know we uh, we had to do the the classic uh, reschedule a couple <laughs> times because I'm uh, I'm a big dum dum, but uh, we're he- we're finally <laughs> we're finally doing it. Yeah. No, it is no problem at all. I'm freelance. My husband's freelance. We we do that dance all the time. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That that makes sense. Where where, uh, where are you and your husband located? We are in Dallas, Texas. Oh, cool. That's awesome. I think I said to you before uh, in some of our correspondence, because we've, we've talked, we've talked for quite a while off and on digitally, but this is the first time I've heard your voice a lot, but I don't know if you've ever heard my voice. (laughs) No, I haven't. Oh man. That's amazing. What a, what, what (laughs) what an amazing turn of events. So you guys are in Dallas. We, we go to Waco sometimes because my partner, Danny, who is also uh, the graphic designer for Talking Book, she uh, her family is from Waco, Texas. So we're not quite in Dallas, but oh, cool. it's, it's not too far. Yeah, no, Waco's cool. I like Waco a lot. Yeah, I, the first time I went there, I was like, oh, Waco, that's going to be psychotic. But then like, I really liked it a lot. I thought it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, they've, they've done a lot with it. <laughs> so, Casey, so yeah, just so you know, uh, I'm already recording, so... Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, this is so usually I don't know if you've ever listened to this, but generally speaking, so this is just a <clears throat> a kind of a random podcast that we do where before now we always interviewed uh, authors mostly that we've uh, worked mm-hmm. with in the past. And so I was thinking, I think I told you this, but I was thinking that's insane because, you know, the narrators are doing half of the work here and I never I'm never chatting to them afterwards. So after 20 or so something episodes 
um, you, you'll be the first and hopefully the first of many that's like the, the voice actor on an audiobook. Oh, cool. I'm so happy to be doing this. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, we've loved, uh, you're one of our, um, favorite narrators we've ever worked with. So I thought it would be, uh, a, just a perfect, uh, you know, a maiden voyage, so to speak. Well, thank you. So what's, what's going thank on? You. Are you guys, are you guys from Texas or how, how did you get to Texas? What's going on? Um, yeah, I'm from, we're both kind of from the same general area to, to people who are not from Texas. We would both say that we are, we're closer to Fort Worth than Dallas where we grew up, but, um, we actually live like in Dallas proper now. Okay, cool. And yeah. And I, I think he's, he's always, he's always kind of been around this area. He went to school in this area and stuff. And I went to school, um, in Huntsville, Texas, which, you know, tiny tiny town that houses both a state school and a state prison so that's cool wow double whammy two for one <laughs> exactly so okay so you said um so you and your husband are both there and you said you're both freelance i know that you're an actor and a narrator voice actor what does your husband do he is a wedding photographer and actually this year we just made the move to um like I was, I was doing a lot of the administrative and behind the scenes work. And I, I was actually shooting with him a lot too. And I did a lot of the, the client work and emailing and stuff. And so we just merged and I, it went from Nicholas Lightsinger photography to the Lightsingers. And so I co-own it now. So now you are also, okay. So you guys are business partners, uh, husband and wife. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. So what, what, uh, yeah, what, what, I mean, tell me, I, I guess in general, because I haven't, you know, kind of acknowledging my own ignorance here. So working in the audiobook industry for a few years now and working with like, you know, authors and publishers and agents and then, you know, going to, you know, narrators to do all this beautiful work that that, uh, that you folks do. I mean, I feel like because, you know, I write and I worked in, you know, some publishing stuff before audiobook publishing, I, I know a good bit about that side of things, but I feel like I just have not only do I want to talk to you about, about you for the podcast, but I just have so many questions. I feel like and I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask a billion, but how did you, <laughs> how did, how did, how does someone like you now I've looked at, you know, when we were doing casting for the book for anyone's listening, you know, we listened to loads of auditions and then we find a cool narrator that's appropriate for the, for the material. And then, you know, we do the classic like detective, like poke around work. And we're like, Oh, what has Casey Hollowell done before? And then, so, you know, we found you've, you've done lots of different kinds of things. And I'm just curious, uh, I guess a long-winded way of asking, but like, how did you get into to narration in general? Well, I, it's a, it was a journey. I um, have, I've been in theater since I was a little, little kid. Like I grew up doing it. I knew I always loved it. There was nothing else for me. Um, whenever other kids said that they wanted to, you know, be doctors or whatever, when they grew up, I was like, Oh, I want to be a Tony award winning actress. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and so like, that's what I've always done. So naturally that's what I went to school for. Um, I, so I have a BFA in musical theater and in school when I, when I went to college, one of the main classes, cause I, I did, uh, an acting directing emphasis. And one of the classes you have to take in that emphasis is a voice acting class. And, so we did a lot in there, but um, really the thing that got my that, that the thing that got me started from the beginning was I took an internship in Houston 
that's kind of where uh, Huntsville is. It's it's about an hour out of Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, I took an internship in an equity house in Houston where I played Little Red Riding Hood in Into the Woods. And our baker, the guy who played our baker, he um, kind of became my mentor that whole thing. And, and by that, I mean, I just kept asking him questions and he was kind enough to humor me and answer them. And he is a popular actor in anime. So I asked him how I get started in anime and he sent my information to one of his friends who directs a lot of stuff. And uh, about a month later, the director sends me a message on Facebook and, Hey, can I call you and get a feel for your voice? So he did. And a week later I had my first slot where I was working in anime. And then that was about five years ago. And ever since then, I've been working at both Sentai and Funimation and then the, my thing with anime is I personally have found it hard to get myself out there in the way that I'm able to in theater or film, because you can just go to an audition for those. Whereas with anime, you have to wait kind of for them to call you. So I wanted to find another voice acting outlet where I could be the one to submit an audition. And I stumbled upon audiobook narrating and I happened to have most of the equipment I needed to get started, and I learned and figured out the rest of the way. My first couple of books, um, I'm proud of them because they were my first ones, but there are a lot of mistakes, and um, there there's a lot of stuff that that I I look at now, and I'm I see where I've how I've grown and where I've where I've come from. So I guess that's the. It's the long and short of it. No, yeah, that's that's amazing. I mean, I'm glad you brought up the anime thing because, you know, uh, I think I told you a long time ago when we did Animals Eat Each Other that, uh, you know, we were working with the author to find a good narrator. And, you know, the fact that we found, I mean, your audition was awesome. And then we realized that you did uh, anime as well or prior to. And we're like, mm-hmm. we're, we're a bunch of, you know, big nerds here who love um not not only like literature, but also comics and anime and all that stuff. And so that definitely scored a lot of points with like us and, and her, especially she was like, Oh hell yeah, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, I've, I've actually listened to a good bit of your, um, like I've listened to your like anime reel and stuff on YouTube and it's, it's incredible. The, you know, classic bubbly, perfect anime, you know, female voices that you do, uh, at that side of your work and then how dark and sensual and sultry and kind of terrifying, like the protagonist of <laughs> Elle Nash's book was like, just, it doesn't sound like the same. I mean, obviously you're an actor, so that's your job, but I mean, it's still impressive, you know? Thank you. Yeah. I mean, so if you don't mind me asking, like, how many, how many audiobooks had you recorded, uh, before doing, uh, Elle Nash's book? Was it, was it years into your career? Or was it just like, you know, 12 books or five books or how, how does it, how does that path go is it like you're doing a book a month or um i it depends on as far as the 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 pace of it it depends on honestly what else is happening in my life that month like december is a little slow like i have a lot of books on my docket at the moment and too much life stuff happening because it's december and that's how that works out but i think i had done how many have i done um I want to say, I mean, I was in the double digits by the time I got animals eat each other. Um, I, let me see. 
I'm like looking at my page. I'm like 10, 12. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was a good handful. Um, I am, I'm about in the twenties now of, of books that I have about 15 books actually out on sale, but I have 20 books total that have my, my name on them. Right. So, um, I, I'm, I'm working on up there, but I thank you. I, I feel like it's really important to really explore all of the different little channels that my voice can take. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, you know, this better than I do because, you know, I, uh, you know, run this, this, uh, this small nonprofit publisher, but I mean, you're the one actually narrating the books and needless to say, you know, obviously an author like, you know, L or, or anybody else, they've worked, they work so, for so many years on this one piece of material. And then it's like, it's your job to like bring it to life. So, I mean, there's gotta be some, uh, you know, some, you know, regardless of how many books one has done, like some pressure to mm-hmm. like explore, I guess, you know, how to best deliver it. I mean, are there any, uh, there's probably a billion things you could say, but I mean, just off the cuff, are there, is there any like, I don't know, challenges or thoughts about that in general or, or L books in terms of like, you know, getting into the material or anything about your process? Um, I think the most important thing for me is to be 100% open to any and all criticism um, and critique. I, I mean, growing up in theater, you, you kind of, you, you grow a thick skin pretty, pretty fairly quickly. And, um, I, I'm always, I make sure that I at least tell my authors every single time I start a new project, I'm like, look, I want you to be happy. This is your story. So whatever, like if there's a voice that sounds wrong to you, or if there's something I said that is the wrong tone or the wrong whatever the wrong delivery delivery like just let me know and i'll fix it like i am not my feelings don't get hurt because at the end of the day i would rather them correct me and us both be happy because this product is permanent you know and like my, my feelings on my delivery are not permanent and so i would rather the end product be something that everybody is super proud of and happy with and and most importantly that I have done justice to the story that this person has like crafted and loved and, and created. And, and so I think the biggest thing of my process is because I do, I do a ton of stuff, you know, everything from animals eat each other to, you know, this cutesy, my zombie BFF story, like short novelette thing. It was super cute. And like 16 year olds during the zombie apocalypse, but they're still best friends. And I like, it's cute. And so like, just approaching each and every one as like just purely what is it that this person is intending to do and then doing my best version of what that is. Right. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, that book is not only, you know, just to shoot you a couple of more like compliments about it. Not only did Elle love it and we loved it, the audiobook you know, publisher, quote unquote, but the print publisher who put our original print book, like everybody has liked it so much. And so that's why, um, that's why I wanted to chat to you today. And I, you know, I, I get so many, I get so many emails from people. Um, cause you know, sometimes we'll work with a narrator remotely like yourself. Um, sometimes we'll, 
have a narrator in our local studio, sometimes we'll use the author and record the author um, to narrate their own book. And, you know, we do a bunch of different things and we're, you know, super small, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a small uh, nonprofit and everything like that. But I mean, I, I get emails all the time about people trying to, and you probably get these same emails, but people trying to get into, you know, narration or, or recording audio books mm-hmm. or someone's like, you know, they'll email and be like, Hey, is, can, do you guys need narrators? Like, I'd love to, to try it. And I was just curious, like, you know, I, I say so many different things as a, you know, maybe somebody who I've, I've directed and produced a bunch of books, but I'm not a narrator myself, you know? So do, uh-huh. do you have any, uh, do you have any, um, I don't know, just, you know, classic advice for anybody listening that is super, super interested in, 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 uh, in going down that path possibly in the future? Um, I would say if it, it kind of depends on Cause you're right. I do get a lot of, I actually got like three messages just between yesterday and today about this exact thing. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. But, so I, I say different things depending on what I know about that person's experience level. Um, someone who maybe like I went to school with that, you know, I graduated from college with who I know has taken those classes already. I usually I'll, I'll tell them to, if it's been a while since they've been in a class, maybe just pop in and take another class or really if they feel good about that part of it, um, I tell them to just listen to audiobooks because that's really where I found my style. A lot like theater, I feel like audiobook stuff is you have to kind of figure out what your style is and what you are good at and what you like. So when I first started, I was listening to audiobooks. And of course, I was listening to Harry Potter and Jim Dale because he's a genius right, and totally. he has like the man of a million voices. Um, Obviously, I can't do <laughs> that many voices. So I figured out what I can do and what sounds good and passable versus what just sounds silly and I need to take off my roster. <laughs> and um, I figured out, uh, like, listening to different narrators, I, you know, just when it comes to pace, did I like it when it was a little bit faster? Did I personally like it a little slower? Did I like the pauses? Did I like dramatic um, narration versus like in between the dialogue versus just really plain narration between the dialogue and then expressive dialogue, like all of those little things. What do I as a listener like, and then figure out as a performer, what I'm, what I'm really good at. And because just like, just like theater, if it's not so much whether or not, you know, if you don't book a thing, it doesn't mean if you don't book a job, that doesn't mean that you're not good. It just means that you weren't right for that project. And there's nothing wrong with that. So just figuring out who you are as a performer, what you're good at and, and just excel there. Um, and then that will, that will help you be the best, the best version of yourself that you can be in that environment so that you can confidently, submit your auditions and and book more gigs and if you don't book something that just means you weren't the voice in that author's head and there's nothing wrong with that right wow invaluable absolutely awesome what uh what's that yeah that's amazing that's that's everything that Thank I, you. everything i wanted and more um what uh what's what are you what are you working on now or what's what's uh, is there anything to you want to you want to bring up to plug that uh you've worked on recently that's coming out or something you're working on now what's what's been going on recently 
actually, I just finished and submitted this really cool anthology. It's called Dark Visions, and it's a horror anthology. And it's um, 34 horror stories from 27 different authors. And uh, it should be approved and out on Audible really soon. I don't, you, you know how that goes. I don't know exactly how long. Of course, but, who knows? Um, Whoever knows. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I hope within the next, uh, within the next week or so, that it'll be out on Audible. And it's really cool. There's, there's a bunch of different authors from all over the world. And um, it's just, it's, it's a really, it was a really, really neat anthology to work on. And it definitely, there are a bunch of different accents. Like it definitely stretched me. There's a bunch of stuff in America, but then there's also um, some British accents. I think I did a Jamaican accent for something. Oh man. Um, Lots of New Orleans. Like it was, it was, I was all over the place and I, it was, it was a, a blast. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. That's sweet. That's amazing. So, uh, um, yeah, I mean, last question on a personal note, any Christmas plans? What are you doing for, uh, for the holidays? Um, we are luckily both Nick's family and my family live pretty close together. So after, after the first Christmas of, of, you know, arguing because nobody felt, <laughs> we each felt like our family didn't get enough of us. Um, we, we have a very meticulous, Christmas plan where we, we go back and forth all day long between my mom's house and his parents' house. And we're, we're, it's, it's a lot of driving, but we're very happy with it. So, um, and like I said, since we're both freelance, we're like always busy. And so we're, we're trying to, to hurry up and get the, the important stuff done before Christmas so that by Christmas Eve, we can just chill and it'll be, it'll be nice. We're looking forward to it. Yeah, we're in the same boat because, you know, my, my partner and I, we run Talking Book and then we do, you know, random shit on the side. It's the same. There's no like, here's your two-week break. Here's your holiday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's always like complete <laughs> insanity. Um, but thank you so much uh, for for talking with me. And uh, I mean, I can't I can't thank you enough for working with us with, with Talking Book and with these authors uh, and, and using your voice. And I, I really do hope that we can find some other really cool, you know, project to work on together in the future soon. Yeah. Thank you. I've, I have loved, I have loved working with you guys and I will absolutely always do it in a heartbeat. Oh man. Well, if there's anything we can ever do for you, just like reach out and hopefully one day we'll all be in uh, the same physical space together instead of just always working remotely. But, um, but yeah, really, but, but happy holidays and, Tell Nick uh, we appreciate him as well, that we don't know him. We do appreciate him. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, um, after this, I'm going to play a sample of some of the work you've done with us, like from animals or something like that. So there's going to be that going on as well, which I think will be cool. Great. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, totally. All right, Casey, I'm going to let you go. But um, but yeah, happy holidays, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Yeah, happy holidays. Yeah, yeah, Thank thanks so again. Much. Talk soon. Bye. Okay, that was my chat with Casey. Casey, you are a gym, and uh, and uh, and thanks so much. Um, and for everybody at home, if you haven't listened to uh, one of her books, uh, here is an excerpt of Casey Hollowell reading from El Nash's Animals Eat Each Other. From Dust. That summer, I worked at Radio Shack in a dull strip mall. 
three miles from my mother's place in Lamplighter Mobile Home Park. We moved to Lamplighter when I was eight, after my father died from sudden liver complications, leaving us with a garage-sized inheritance of 1970s knickknacks, old photos, and debt. My mother was a caretaker for the elderly, and although she worked through most holidays, her income alone couldn't pay the mortgage on the Rambler they had bought when they first moved to Colorado Springs. All summer, my mother had been prodding me to find a job. I'd just graduated high school and had no immediate plans for college, instead investing my time in a growing obsession with snorting Percocet. I was 13 the first time I thumbed one of my mother's pills. A Vicodin. Only one, because I feared she might notice it was missing. I remember carrying it back to my bedroom like a fragile tooth, and I placed it under my pillow with the same excitement that used to come from exchanging body parts for quarters. I brushed my teeth and washed my face in the hallway bathroom, and when I came back, the pill was still there. I swallowed it with a glass of water, and at first felt very nauseous. Then a warmth spread from my belly into the rest of my limbs, and I felt comforted in a way I hadn't in a long time. It reminded me of a moment when I'd woken from a nightmare as a child and crawled into bed between both my parents, cradled by the largeness of their bodies and the smell of their sweat, both sweet and stale, like old cigarettes. Jenny and I stood behind the linoleum counter at the store, waiting on customers. Jenny was a girl I knew from middle school who had worked at Radio Shack since her sophomore year and got me a job, too. The summer had faded into cool evenings on the cusp of autumn, and wispy locks of Jenny's pastel blue-tipped hair fell from her beanie. Poised between the gray squares of economy carpet and the stacked electronics, she was the brightest thing in the store. That's when Matt and Francis walked in. Jenny took them immediately to the only corner of the store where the camera couldn't see them. Matt was tall, his head shaved so close to the scalp I could see the lines in his cranium. Frances stood next to him, her fingers wrapped delicately between his own. With her other hand, she held the tips of her long hair to her mouth. She constantly checked the reaction on Matt's face as Jenny spoke to them, as if any move she made or words she said was subject to his approval. Her almond-shaped eyes were exaggerated by her thin, drawn-in eyebrows. Matt pulled out a tube of chapstick and unscrewed the top. He puckered his lips and put it on, his cupid's bow glistening in the dead, pale, fluorescent lighting. I stared at his upper lip, the bulge and glow of it, until I heard my name. Matt is a tattoo artist, Jenny repeated loudly. I wondered how long the three of them had been watching me. Show him yours. I lifted my shirt to show them the tattoo on my stomach. A barn owl. Feathers spread like fingers between my hip bones. I thought about the security cameras and what it might look like if my tiny gray figure lifted her shirt up for a couple of strangers. But since the camera couldn't see them, I hoped it would be innocuous, like flashing a ghost. The tattoo itself was bare, only line work done three weeks ago. It was my first big piece, an impulsive decision after a dramatic summer breakup. 
I had other tattoos, smaller ones I didn't show off. At first, I was attracted to changing the image of myself, placing tokens on my body to center who I was or where I'd been. After a while, I began to enjoy the dry, dull pain and the way each tattoo forced me to confront my own commitment to be hurt over and over again. The first tattoo, a set of stars trailing down my spine, was the most painful. After the artist inked the first line into my skin, a shroud of dread held me in the chair. I couldn't stop him. If I did, I'd be walking around my whole life with this symbol of weakness etched into my skin. When he dragged the needle down, he focused 100% of his attention on me, and I liked that. The tattoo scabbed over so badly that the color modeled. After that, I wanted to go bigger, more detail, and more sensitive places. Cursive words on the backs of my thighs, hopeless, romantic. A moon on my ankle, where the skin was so thin the needle felt like splintered toothpicks rubbing frantically against the bone. The decision to get the owl tattooed right on my stomach was physical proof of my control over my body. The wings feathered out toward my hip bones, and the tail pointed down toward the most interesting part of my body, or at least the one that seemed the most interesting to other people. My mother lamented how it might stretch if I were ever to have a child, but I told her I wasn't worried about that. The outline had been excruciating. The closer the artist got to my pelvis, the more I clenched my abs against the pain. I'd made it through the worst of the thick line work. All that remained now was the color. The next day at work, Jenny told me Matt and Francis were interested in me, like I was a subject to be explored. When I asked what she meant, she simply said, They want to get to know you more. A week went by. Jenny gave me Francis's number. I called. A landline. Her voice sounded thick and warm. She asked if I was free that Saturday. When I arrived, I located the garden-level window of their apartment and checked my phone. I was already ten minutes late. Their door was hidden from the street, there were nail holes on the door jamb where the numbers were supposed to be. The frame was a gray muted blue, painted with acrylic, the kind that peels off with age. I placed my index finger against a hole on the hinge side of the door, and a paint tag caught underneath my fingernail. The lip of it nudged in between the tip of my finger and the underside of my nail. The feeling of separation of space between these two minuscule parts of my body, and the gummy yield of the acrylic filled my chest with a sense of relief. I pulled until the tiny string of paint snapped. Frances opened the door, the light catching her deep brown eyes. Come in, come in, she said. She grabbed my hand and pulled me into the house. Her hands were cool and small, like clutching a tiny animal. I felt as if I could squeeze too hard and somehow kill it. Hey, I said. Francis, right? I tried to smirk and she smiled back, revealing a slight space between her two front teeth. You can call me Frankie, she said. Up close, Frankie's skin was smooth and almost poreless. She had freckles across her nose and cheeks 
and her teeth seemed unnaturally white. My teeth were slightly yellowed, and I did too many things on my body that made it feel old and tired, as though I were dragging all of the mistakes I'd ever made behind me with each step. Frankie closed the door and walked me in. My eyes struggled against the light. The entryway led into the living room, where a baby blue velvet sofa wrapped around two whole walls, oriented to a wooden entertainment center. A few hand-drawn pieces of art hung framed on the wall. I guessed they were Matt's work. I remember the distinct feeling of their adulthood. A home with furniture, kitchen utensils, bathroom cleanser, a wipe-off calendar. When we'd moved to the trailer, my mother got rid of most of our furniture, and I slept without a mattress for some time. It seemed to take years for us to recollect the things we needed. Sharp kitchen knives, a cutting board, a dented saucepan with tarnish crusted around the rim. Frankie's sparrow hands led me through the kitchen. A stack of old bills, a strangely shaped bag, a napkin holder, and some stains littered the circular dining room table. A hand-painted glass vase with dried willow branches leaned against the napkin holder. The clutter betrayed the neatness of the rest of the house. She pulled a chair out for me and I sat. Salt crumbs pushed into my elbows when I placed my arms on the table. I looked around. Aside from the high chair, there seemed to be no other evidence of a child. Matt is dropping the baby off at his mom's house. Frankie pulled out a chair but didn't sit. He should be back pretty soon. How old is your baby? I asked. I tried not to stare at her body, although Jenny had said they were interested in me. I didn't want to make the mistake yet of interpreting their friendliness as anything more than curiosity. Jet's about ten months old, she said. He just took his first steps last week. I didn't know if ten months was an exceptional time to learn how to use your feet to move your body. I stared at her poreless, makeup-free skin, thinking of what to say. I wondered how she felt about seeing me this close, an arm's length away, where she could see the mistakes in my makeup or the pimples underneath, could smell my breath or skin or hair. I wondered if she felt the same pulse of heat about our bodies, the way I felt it. My hand searched along the bottom of the table for something to pick off, paint or cardboard or wood splinters. When I didn't find anything, I picked at the skin of my thumb. Oh, I said. That must be exciting. She nodded and smiled. Her eyes lit up affectionately. He gets more mobile every day. It's always changing, she said. I wanted to get close to Frankie. I always wanted that with girls, especially when they were older or seemed cooler than I was. I wanted to become her best friend, to feel her from every angle. As a result, I became nervous. I didn't want to fuck it up. There's a show tonight, she said. We can go out when Matt gets back. Cool, I said. Sounds good. How do you two know Jenny? Well, Matt and Jenny go way back, Frankie said. Knew each other in middle school and everything. The cuticle of my thumb began to bleed. I nodded. 
I met Jenny when I started dating Matt, she said. What was that, sophomore year? Or freshman? She asked as if I would know, like we were longtime friends with an intertwined history. Dust motes circled beneath the overhead light. God, it's been so long. It's like Matt and I are practically married. She laughed like she was trying to prove something. I laughed too. Eight years later, I'll look her up on social media and retrace the constellation of each event. I'll laugh as I scroll through picture upon picture of their life after me, both hers and his, status updates and in her bio, to have and to hold, married since 2003, a decade plus of matrimonial bliss. The year of our life together erased, as if she'd never called me Lilith like she did the first night she saw me naked. As if nothing I'm about to tell you ever actually happened. All right, there you go. There's the episode. Uh, short and sweet. Um, but uh, yeah, talking book. We've got some cool things coming out. Under the Sea by Mark Leidner um, from Tyrant Books. Uh, working on Brad Phillips' new book, Essays in Fiction, from the same publisher. Uh, what else? We're doing some things with Transit Books. Um, two kind of cool mystery novels by William Boyle. And uh, what else? There's some other things going on. Um, oh, possibly Mira Corpora, Jeff Jackson. That should be cool. Um, I'm probably forgetting stuff, but uh, thanks so much, everybody. Um, happy holidays, happy new year, uh, happy all all the different uh, all the different stuff that's going on right now. Into the year, talking book. We're still here for some reason. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Chris Hartram. I love you all very much. Like a bishop who has forsaken sympathy. Chasing sister squares I was lit Before I knew that you were there Like an angel Who has forsaken certainty Sleeping in the square I was lit Before I knew The storm was past